All right, good morning. Uh, if you walked in uh, before worship, my name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here, and this is High Point Church. Happy Father's Day. We're part of a ministry called Every Nation. Uh, some of the songs we sang, if, you, if they're new to you, uh, you've never heard of them before, you can search for them, as Jen mentioned, uh, on iTunes, etc., under Every Nation. It's part of the movement we're a part of. We do a lot of songwriting, etc., but we're, we're a part of something bigger than our local church. We are part of something global. It's a movement of churches. Um, we do a lot of church planning and campus ministry. And when we moved here, our heart was for you. It was to see families come and know Jesus and grow in their relationship with God together. It was to reach college students and kids that go to sc a school just like this. This is our dream. We're thankful to be here with you this morning. And as the father, so to speak, of this church, uh, it's my pride and joy to see all that God is doing in your life. Love you guys. It's a privilege to be your pastor. Here's what I'd like you to do. Uh, stand to your feet. We're going to read from Psalm 23 together. We're in a series called Baggage. Last week we talked about the baggage. We spoke of the baggage of self-reliance. And this week we have another bag that we oftentimes carry around with us. And what we're reading that's guiding us through uh, what it looks like to live for God and to trust Him and to grow in relationship with Him is Psalm 23, one of the most famous psalms or famous passages in all the Bible. And if you were growing up as a Jew many, many moons ago, you would have stood for the reading of the Bible every time. Uh, it was read to the people, and so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're not going to do it every single week, at, you know, at High Point, but we're going to do it for this series. Let's read this together, Psalm 23, 1 through 6. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You can have a seat. When I was in high school, this was before it was cool, I was in show choir. Glee kind of popularized, popularized show choir and made it cool to be a part of show choir. But when you were in high school in the uh, mid-90s, it wasn't always the coolest thing. I was cool with it, but it wasn't like the popular thing to do, right? And, and uh, so we're in show choir, and I have my sequin vest, Right, and I got my black pants, and you know we do the the, the song, the song and dance man, right? And uh, which, by the way, Hugh Jackman was a song and dance man, so I guess I'm in good company. Last time I checked, Wolverine. Okay, okay. Well, our high school every year we would do this. We would have what was called uh, the. We had our big our big trip, right? And we would get permission or we would get approved to go sing and perform at different places. And this was the year that we were at Disneyland in Los Angeles. 
And so they, you know, they have the amphitheater, and you, all of the high schoolers are in the show choir. Everyone's amped and pumped, you know, because you're away from mom and dad, and you're kind of doing something that feels really special. It's really unique, and here you are at Disneyland, uh, and, you know, all the buses arrive. We get off, and, you know, you've got your dress bag with you, and we have a tour guide or a, or a guide for our group. That's leading probably, you know, 40, 50 students through Disneyland to the place where we're going to perform. And there's lots of moving parts. And if you've ever seen behind the scenes at Disney World or Disneyland, it will blow your mind how much is happening behind the scenes that you don't know about. And we've got the person, you know, with the little, you know, the 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 golf cart and you've got the, you know, on the walkie-talkies and everyone's talking and doing their thing. And we're at this juncture where we're waiting and we're looking around. You can see all the shops and we're waiting for our guide to show back up because they had to take care of some business. And, and me and my friend Tim, we were a little bit bored just standing there waiting. So we drift into one of the shops and we begin to just kind of peruse Mickey Land for a minute. And next thing we know, we turn around and we walk back outside, and our group is gone. Nowhere to be seen. I can't, I have no, this is before cell phones, I didn't even have a cell phone, okay? And we're standing there, and it's like the rapture happened, and our whole group was just, had vanished. They were gone. And so we do what a normal, smart-thinking high schooler does. We just start walking. And we just start walking through the park right? And we have no idea where we're going. We have no idea where, where we're trying to get to. And uh, long story short, our teacher has to send somebody out to find us. And when I say that my choir teacher was ready to throttle me, she was furious because we were holding the entire performance up. If you've ever been in choir, it's very hard to get a C. And I got a C. I got a C in show choir because of this single moment she was that angry now as a, again as a high schooler i wasn't panicking because what why would i i'm in high school i mean i don't know what's happening we're just kind of moseying along oblivious to the world that is that is going on around us and that we are holding up the entire production i say this to you because we're going to read from psalm 23 as God guides us along the right path portion of Scripture. And some of you can relate to this story in that life has felt a lot like you just kind of got left behind by the group. Or you're kind of moseying along and you're trying to figure it out. You're not entirely sure which way to go. And you find yourself frustrated. You find yourself panicking. You find yourself banging your head against the wall because you still don't have the job that you're trying to have. You still haven't gotten the promotion that you're looking for. You still don't find yourself married. You still don't find yourself having kids. And you find yourself kind of wandering through life trying to figure out which direction to go. Even if that's not where you are right now, I can assure you, you've probably felt that way before. And there's a good chance that you might feel that way again. And so what do we do? What do you do 
then you don't know what to do. This is a common place for us. Some of you that are just, maybe you're here and you're, you're literally trying to pick out classes. You're trying to figure out what school to go to. You guys know what I'm talking about here. There are so many decisions that you are making every single day. Decisions about money, decisions about jobs, decisions about roommates, decisions about more jobs, decisions about more money, decisions about food, decisions about what I'm not going to eat, decisions about what I'm going to eat, decisions about whether I should go to the store. And you you know what I'm talking about. These are the small ones. And you find yourself so tired from making decisions after decision after decision that the decisions that really matter Oftentimes, we don't have the energy to do anything with. We find ourselves weighed down. And you have this thing called decision paralysis, or you have decision fatigue. And one leaves you frozen, unable to make a decision, right? And when, you, when, when this happens, when, when you're frozen in the land of indecision, eventually... You just become indifferent to it because you just, you put it off. You put it off and you put it off and you just don't make a decision about it, right? And then there's decision fatigued where you become so tired and you become worn out that your capacity to make good decisions is so worn down that you just end up making poor calls. And so here's my question for you as we jump further into the message. Do you find yourself struggling in the valley of decision? Do you find yourself looking at life and saying, how did I get here again? How am I here one more time? Do you find yourself examining life and you're just saying to yourself, you know what? I just don't make very good decisions. Well, I have great news for you. I believe God wants to encourage you, convict you, and help you today, literally today in this area of your life. Let's pray and then we're going to get into the, into the text this morning and I'm going to come with it today. And what you need to do is all these, all these jokers who are somehow celebrating Father's Day someplace other than here, you get to take it to them. Oh, yeah, that's right. Father, we love you and we thank you. We worship you and we exalt your name. And God, there's nothing probably that we do more every single day than make decisions. And sometimes we do find ourselves overwhelmed by it. Sometimes we find ourselves trying to figure out what's right and what's wrong, what's true, what's false, what's up and down. And God, it can be tiring and overwhelming and fatiguing. Lord, today, would you minister to us wherever we are? But even as we have fun in the message and with the message today, Lord, let it resonate and speak straight to our heart today. Help us, God. Amen. Psalm 23, verse 3, is where we're going to camp out today. The text says that God guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Now understand, many of us want a tour guide 
rather than the kind of guide that's helping, you know, cut a path through the jungle. Most of us want God to be the kind of tour guide who kind of points out some nice things along the way. You know, hey, if you uh, if you turn your head to the left, you're going to see this right over here. You're going to really enjoy this, Andy. And, you know, more like a genie in the bottle who's just kind of along for the ride and he's here to help. But the kind of guide that God is is more like the kind of guide that has a machete in, in his backpack and he's hacking a path through the jungle. That's what life feels like far more than the tour guide. But we would prefer this one. But the life of faith that God has called you to and me to does not look like that. It's hacking your way through the jungle many times. And the good news is this morning is I believe God is telling you to put down your blade and let him do the heavy lifting. It is God that guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. This is David, the shepherd boy that's writing this. David, the, the giant slaying, poet writing, crown wearing king. It's God that guides me. And when I think of David, I think of him as, I think of him as the shepherd boy. I think of the, the kid that's got some rocks and a sling. He's taken down giants. You know what I oftentimes don't think of him as? As a prophet. I don't think of David the prophet, and yet our Old Testament heroes of faith are all considered prophets, meaning that when they are writing the Old Testament, they're doing so looking forward in faith to the day that the Messiah would step onto the earth. Look at what Acts 2 has to say, verse 29. Verse 31 says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. What, is, what are we getting at here? That when we read Psalm 23 and when you read these prophets of old, it's not just this little one-dimensional passage that should kind of help you feel encouraged every once in a while or that you can just kind of write on your mirror and memorize. It's that you would understand that this passage is pointing to a shepherd, a greater shepherd, the one that you have ever experienced who is fully realized in Jesus Christ. Who is it that's going to guide you along the right path? It's Jesus and when David is writing as a prophet of old, he is by faith looking to the Messiah to fulfill what he is writing. Who is going to guide you? Let me help you out this morning. Jesus is. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the... That's right. He's the way. Meaning, he will show you which way to go. He guides me along the right paths. 
for his name's sake. Confession. When I read the Bible, oftentimes I see myself as the hero in all the Old Testament stories. <laughs> okay. Like when you read David and Goliath, you're like, yeah, that would be, I would do that. You know, uh, you know, and, and when, when you preach the message, the tendency is to preach as if, you know, you and I are by faith, you know, use your faith and get some rocks and put it in your sling and you too can be a giant slayer. But the reality is that isn't the picture of the gospel that we see. You see, we have the Israelites who are in fear and trembling at the giant that's in front of them. And you have David the prophet who is stepping onto the scene as the messianic figure, meaning he is the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. And while we are standing on the sideline doing absolutely nothing like the people of Israel... Jesus steps up and he slays the giant of sin. Who are you and I in the story? We're the people who are doing nothing. We're the people who contribute absolutely zilch to the equation. You and I are not David in the story. We're the people who are watching, who desperately need a rescuer. And when the scriptures say that he will guide you and I along, paths of righteousness for his name's sake it's not about you and it's not about me in fact every great thing in your life has never been about your reputation it's never been about your glory and it's never been about your honor it's about the glory and honor and reputation of the one who has set you free it's about jesus it's about his name's sake and that's why when David, when, when, da when the Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart, what is it that he does in the equation with, with Goliath? This has never been about his strength. This has never been about who is stronger. It's been about who is the one true God. And that's why David can say with great confidence that I come against you in the name of the Lord. It's not my strength. It's not my wisdom. It's not my discernment. This is about who is God. And I'm telling you right now, my God is the one true God. And so when I step onto this field, I don't do it in my strength. In fact, let me take this armor off that Saul gave me. That's how confident I am in the God that I serve. It's all about him. It's all about his name. And how dare you step onto the field and try to make a mockery of the God that I serve. You, my friend, are going down. My paraphrase. It's about the name of the God that we serve. The purpose of everything good in my life isn't about my name, your reputation. It's about his name and his glory. That being said, how does God actually lead us? Because if you're like me, I struggle with this sometimes. I mean, think about it. You're literally overwhelmed 
if you're the average American with decisions that have to be made every single day. And some of those decisions are decisions of morality, right and wrong, true and false. And then there are also decisions that just don't have much bearing in terms of what does the Bible say about it. It's not super clear. So I'm going to give you two points today that you need more than anything else for God to use you and move in your life to guide you along the right path. Are you guys ready for this? Because these, these ideas are so novel. It's going to blow your mind when I really let this out of the bag. You ready? Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. If you want God to guide you, read your Bible. I'm going to tell you this, and I will sing it from, I'll shout it from the, from the mountaintop, from the rooftop, whatever the saying is, I don't know, some high place, okay? From the high, okay. That was a dad joke right there. Wow, wow, okay. The scriptures say this in Psalm 119.9, how could a young person, how could a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. Now, I'm, I'm going to hit this, and I'm going to hit it hard today. I realize that, that men and women of old, they didn't have access to the Bible. But we, we peddle that like it's some weak sauce excuse that because they didn't have access to the Bible, that somehow that because we do, it's not that important to us. You have the privilege that what so many millions of people never had the privilege of having. And that's why scrolls and the temple archives were considered of such great value. And when you read from Ezra and Nehemiah and they find the, the, the scrolls of the Old Testament and they stand before thousands of people and read the word, people begin to cry and they're weeping because they're hearing the word of the Lord and they're being reminded of how to live their life. Can you imagine a, a world where it's void for you and I on what is true and what is false and how to live and how to actually obey God and be live in a manner that's honoring to him? Can you imagine it? No, you can't. Because you and I have access to the scriptures like never before. Out of the 6,877 known languages, in the world. Six thousand everybody say this six thousand eight hundred seventy-seven. Six thousand eight hundred seventy-seven. That's how many known languages that we, we know that it exists. And out of those languages, five hundred and forty-four have a complete translation of the Bible. A little over five hundred. And we don't ever even think twice about it. Why? Because we have over 450 English translations alone. We have nearly as many English translations of the Bible as we do total languages translated with a biblical text. 
Now, I'm not saying that they don't have any translation. So if you start quoting that and putting it on social and somebody corrects you, you know, there might be a portion of the Bible that, that has been translated in their language. But this is how many don't have or do have the complete Bible. And if you want to have a gripping video, watch as people are receiving their Bibles in their native tongue for the first time. And see if you don't cry and find yourself convicted as a plane lands in different parts of the world with shipments of Bibles. And there are thousands of people waiting for the plane to land. And as they get their Bibles, they begin to cry and they weep. And they get on their knees and they thank God. Because they finally have God's word in their native language. And the reason we can talk like this, the reason I can speak like this with such passion, is because if you want God to guide you, he has given you what you need to at least know right from wrong, up from down, from the scriptures. We know what is true and what is false and what is a lie from the enemy because we read the Bible, because we know what is true. And so when we find ourselves in a culture like my generation where we have uprooted spiritual growth from the Bible, meaning we've untethered growing in relationship with God with growing in relationship with the written word. We've disconnected the two. They're fragmented. So now you can have a relationship with God that is not anchored in the truth of the scriptures. And therefore, every wind that blows through culturally, we decide whether it's true or whether it's right or whether it's wrong based purely on how we feel about it. Does that feel good? Well, I'm going to follow my heart. Well, you may be following your heart literally on a wide path to hell if that's the course of action that we're going to take. It's hard to hear, isn't it? Well, what is it that reminds us of the narrow path? Jesus made it very clear. There are those and there are few, and few find it, the narrow path. But most run with their shoes on down the wide path, the path that screams just do what you want. If it feels good, it's got to be great. If it feels right on the inside, it must be true. And so we have defined and redefined things based on, on what we feel on a given day and in a given moment. But if you want to... If you want God to guide you, well, it starts with reading your Bible. Proverbs 4, 10 through 15 says, Listen, my son, accept what I say. And the years of your life will be many. I instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go on your way. 
my wife Amy and I, we moved from Nashville to Orlando and planted a church there and then moved here and planted a church here. But before we did any of those things, many of our friends that we were even in ministry with in Nashville, many of them were trying to get record deals. Many of them were pursuing music. Many of them were trying to make it big, and many of them have. <laughs> in fact, Amy and I are like, I think we're like the only people that aren't famous, you know, all these, all these people we used to hang with, right? I'm going to tell you right now, when we, when we spend time with friends, again, that have, have, have oftentimes made it big or do, are doing great things, celebrity-esque type things, you can see immediately who is still anchored to the scriptures and who is not. You can see immediately who is still doing their best to honor God by living according to the word. And who has picked up that machete and who has just decided to hack their own path. Because if you will live by the word, if you will live according to it, your years will be many. They'll be fruitful. You will live wise and your paths will be straight. I don't mean that there won't be bumps. I don't mean that there won't be great difficulty at time. But church, if you want to live for God, if you want to make a difference in this culture, if you want to live upright before a perfect and holy God, it isn't up to us to guide ourselves along the right path. It's up to God to guide us along the right path. And guess what he did to help guide you along that right path? He gave you the written word. So we should read it. My pastor growing up, or not growing up, in college, he used to say, he used to say this to me, Andy, the reality is that people don't believe that God will guide them, that, guide will, that God will actually lead them. That's the issue when it comes to the Bible, is that people don't really believe it. They don't believe that God will actively be involved in their life. If they did, the second they pulled those sheets back and got out of bed, if you really believed that God had a word for you, that God was going to lead you, that God was going to transform your mind, that God was going to give you courage, that God was going to begin to release greater faith in your life. If you really believed those things, guess what you would do? You would be desperate to get in the Bible because you know that as you do, God is going to breathe some fresh life into you. What do you believe today? So we know we've got decisions that are about right and wrong, and the Bible helps us with that, but I'm going to be honest with you. There are a lot of decisions that are not covered by commands in the Scriptures. <laughs> Should I buy this house? I don't know. Should you? I wish, there, I, could, wish I could turn to Matthew 14 and God would say, buy that house. You know, should, we, should I move to that city? Should I, should I marry that person? Should I be in this relationship? Should I take that job? 
Are there not so many decisions that you're, you're left kind of trying to decide and sort it out and figure out what's right and wrong and, God, what do I do in this situation? And I actually am going to tell you this morning, many times I don't think the issue is about right and wrong. The issue is about wise and unwise. Here's what I want to encourage you with. And it's going to take me a second to bring it all the way around for you. So just bear with me. Turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 38. After Jesus died and rose again, the disciples have scattered. The disciples had been hiding in fear. Their, their, their friend, their leader, their Messiah had died, and so the dream was dashed. And when people were asked if they were followers of Jesus, people like Peter denied Jesus. Went back to what he knew, and that was fishing. He's out on the water, and he's fishing, and Jesus shows up to him and restores him and sets him back on the mission that God had set for him. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And at Pentecost, here in Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up and he preaches in front of a crowd of thousands. And he preaches about the Messiah. And he preaches about Jesus and that it's your sin and my sin and everybody's sin and y'all's sin that killed Jesus. This Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Savior, he says. And the Bible says that the people were cut to the heart and they said what do we need to do to be saved and Jesus or excuse me Peter he says repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit And moving forward, we see the Holy Spirit filling thousands of men and women literally in this moment. It's, the Bible says that thousands of people are added to the church that day. They get baptized. They're getting saved. They're turning away from their sin. They're turning to Jesus. But then this other thing happens in Acts chapter 13, verse 52. We begin to see this chain, this, this chain of events happening over and over again. The scriptures say that the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now, I thought they'd already been filled with the Holy Spirit. Didn't the Holy Spirit come on down in Acts chapter 2? And people are speaking in tongues and tongues of fire on their head. Haven't they already gotten this? The answer is yes, they, they did. And so what we begin to see in the scriptures is that there is a continual filling of the Holy Spirit that needs to happen and is happening in the life of the believer. And that's not to say that each time you're filled with the Spirit that somehow you lost it and you're getting it new each time. It's that... Like anything that is filled, you want to spend time in God's presence. You want to spend time with the Father. You want to spend time meditating on what is true and what is right, that your spirit might be filled with the very presence of God so that when you're squeezed, guess what's coming out? The joy of the Lord. The disciples were filled with joy 
and with the Holy Spirit. Acts 13, 52. The Bible also says this in Romans 12, verse 2. It says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So let's connect the dots here for a second. If, if Peter is standing up and he's preaching, and people are saying, what a... What do, we, what do we need? And Peter says, you need to repent. That you might experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. That you might experience forgiveness in your life. That you might experience the turning away of your sin and turning to Jesus Christ. And then the scriptures are saying that these people are filled with the Holy Spirit again, and they're filled with joy again. There's a filling that's happening, a refilling that's happening. And then Paul, the same writer here, he says, Man, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How is your mind transformed? How is it that you're able to discern what is the right decision when the Bible doesn't make it clear? When there's not some express command on what you're supposed to do. Let me help you out this morning. If you are spending time in God's presence, he is making you new. The old man is gone and the new has come. And the spirit that lives inside of you is literally renewing your mind. And giving you the thoughts of God that you might think like him. That you might look at things like him. That you might have a heart that beats like him. He changes you and he makes you new. But many of us are content with a one-time moment, a one-time prayer, a one-time baptism, a one-time moment where you experience the Holy Spirit and you never spend time in the Bible and you never spend time in God's presence except maybe showing up on a Sunday morning every once in a while, which is really good and a great place to start. But it doesn't transform your mind and it doesn't make you new. You're new in Christ, mind you. But you're not growing into the fullness of who he would make you to be. And guess what? High schoolers, that's for you. Middle schoolers, that's for you. Young professionals, married folks, divorced people. People who are caring for kids as, as single moms and single dads. Fathers, mothers, grandparents. No one has this moment of, I've arrived. But we all need to be continually renewed and transformed and filled with the Spirit. So how do we do this? We do this by having a heart that is continually repentant to God. If you want God to guide you, read your Bible. If you want God to guide you, point number two, repent. <laughs> Not rocket science this morning, is it? 
It's a word we don't like to use in church anymore, though. We don't like to talk about sin because we're, we're an offense-happy culture. So anything that kind of feels uncomfortable or confrontational, well, we, we don't like to talk about it. People are going to leave the church. People will walk away and not return. Jesus was not afraid to hurt some folks. He hasn't been afraid to hurt me in my life either. That doesn't mean, mean him make him ungentle. It doesn't make him not meek or humble. But he will confront your sin. And in this moment, you have a choice to humble yourself and be repentant. Or to resist and continue to live your life and hack your path in pride. Protesting God the entire way. Ephesians 5, 18 through 19, Paul says, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Then he says something interesting here. He says, Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. The Bible provides revelation from the outside in, but the Holy Spirit provides transformation from the inside out. And guess what? If you want to be the kind of person that God is guiding to paths of righteousness, guess what you need? You need the Bible working in your life. You need to be someone who's reading it, who's paying attention to it, who's meditating on it day and night. But you also need to be the kind of person who's willing to get on their knees and say, God, forgive me. I'm, I, I'm repenting to you right now. I've, I was out of bounds here. This wasn't right. This was wrong. This is sin. And I know because you are a holy God that this isn't right. And therefore, Lord, I'm giving this to you and I'm turning away from this. And you allow the Holy Spirit to continue working in your life. Meditating on the Word, and yet the Spirit is making you new on the inside. When's the last time you asked God to forgive you? I realize He forgave you positionally through Jesus. But just because my wife loves me doesn't mean I don't need to say, oh, forgive me. If I never apologized to my wife, things may not be the healthiest relationship. If I never had a heart that said, forgive me. I, we don't say I'm sorry in our house, by the way, because I'm sorry is weak sauce. If you've got something on your heart that you know isn't right, then you need to ask for forgiveness. Forgive me, that wasn't right. I'm sorry for what I did. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me. Forgive me. I repent. I'm turning away from that. God, I know this isn't what you want for me. I know because you're renewing my mind. I know because I'm filled with the Spirit. I'm filled with the Spirit. I'm meditating on your word. I'm being reminded of what's true. I'm being reminded of what's right. God, I know who you are. I can make the right decision because the Spirit of the living God lives inside of me. And I haven't let that Spirit just go 
dormant. I'm not letting, I'm not quenching that spirit by living in sin. I'm allowing my life to be a heart that's soft and malleable and shaped by God that I might know Him and be filled by Him and be led by Him and be guided along paths of righteousness. preach this because I just want you to read your Bible or because somehow I want you to have a happy moment with Jesus. I'm sharing this with you and I'm being reminded even as I'm preaching it to myself. That God really wants to guide me along the best path. I can't hear his voice if I don't spend time in his presence if I'm not meditating on what he's already told me it's going to be very hard for me to hear him when it really counts it's Father's Day and I gotta tell you I can't think of a better gift to the world than our fathers being the kind of men who are hungry for more of God's word and whose hearts are broken for the spirit of God to be alive inside of them. What are you going to do today? Are you going to be a man or woman who runs after God and his word? has a heart that's soft and open to him. If you do, I can promise you, you're going to begin to hear his voice. And he's going to guide you in ways that you haven't felt guided before. And you can let down that baggage of trying to figure it all out on your own. The weight of trying to decide all these things in your own strength. Father, thank you. Go ahead and stand to your feet, church. Father, we thank you that your word is true. And even as we read from Psalm 23, Lord, we're reminded how Jesus fulfills it. It is Jesus who guides us, and it's by the Spirit of God that Jesus literally has changed us and made us new and has filled us with the Spirit. If you've put your faith in Jesus today, then you have the Holy Spirit. And sometimes you need to be reminded to still be repentant and to still have a heart that forgives. But maybe you're sitting here or standing here this morning and you've not put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you're sitting here this morning and you know God is calling you, you're, you're hearing that, that still small voice that's, that's reminding you or, or calling you to Him to put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you are standing here and that's you, say, Jesus, I believe that you are Lord. And this morning, I profess and declare that you are the Lord and Savior of my life and heart. This morning, I turn from all sin that I know of in my life. I repent of it, God, and I turn to you.
And if you're standing here this morning and you have professed Jesus and he is the king of your heart, but you know you've drifted into apathy, you know that you've just wandered from, and you've just, you're, you just have a lackadaisical attitude about living for him, about following him. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for being my Lord and Savior this morning. I am returning to you. I repent, Lord. And I'm asking, God, that you would help my ears to hear you and my eyes to see you. That you would lead me afresh. I turn from this sin in my life and I'm turning to you, Lord. Thank you for making me. God to guide you, read your Bible. If you want God to guide you, have a heart that's repentant. Start there. Start right there. And if you don't actually know how to read the Bible, there's a great place to begin at our church that's called Foundations. We've got a class that's already going, but we, just, we do them throughout the year, over the summer, during the school year. This is a great moment for you to grow in your faith. Amen. Happy Father's Day. Have a great Sunday.